Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome back to Reimagining Love. Today, I get to introduce you to someone I really like and respect. I've been a guest on her podcast a couple of times, and I have recommended her show to many clients and friends as a trustworthy resource. So I'm delighted to have Kate Anthony on to explore the sticky topic of divorce, or the D word as she calls it in her book. As a divorce coach, Kate has helped hundreds of women, especially women with children, from all over the world navigate the D word, guiding them through the decision of whether to stay or leave their marriages, and then helping them either heal their relationships or exit with grace. Most importantly, Kate is no stranger to the pain of divorce. She is a shining example of alchemizing pain into purpose, funneling her own experiences of divorce and parenting through it into her liberating approach to divorce. Kate is the host of the critically acclaimed and New York Times recommended podcast, The Divorce Survival Guide, and the creator of a groundbreaking online coaching program, Should I Stay or Should I Go?, where she helps women navigate the most difficult decision of their lives. Kate is a certified domestic violence advocate, a co-parenting specialist, and a high-conflict divorce coach. And now, Kate is the author of her first book, The D Word, Making the Ultimate Decision About Your Marriage. In this episode, Kate offers us an empowering vision of divorce. We investigate what is embedded within the question, should I stay or should I go? And we discuss how to navigate all of the tricky things that emerge in the aftermath, the parenting decisions, the gender dynamics of divorce, and the heaps of unsolicited advice that's coming your way. This episode isn't just for those in the midst of a separation. Kate also gives guidance on how to support your friends who are navigating a divorce. I'm excited for you to get to know Kate. If you're in the throes of a painful separation, I hope you take care of yourself as you listen to this one. I'm sending you lots of love. 
And as always, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the episode and the questions that it brought up for you, either through the link to our listener question submission form, which you can find in the show notes, or just by emailing me at alexandra at dralexandrasolomon.com. That's D-R-A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A-S-O-L-O-M-O-N.com. Kate, I am so glad that you are joining me today. How are you doing? I am doing great. I'm so happy to be here and to be talking to you, and as you said, from the other side. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. I have been a guest on the Divorce Survival Podcast. Wait, is that the name of your show? It's Divorce Survival Guide Podcast. It's a mouthful. <laughs> I have referred so many people to your show. It has become such a treasure trove of resources and a really trusted resource for listeners, hasn't it? Thank you. Thank you so much. That makes me, I'm honored. So thank you. You and I are coming together today to celebrate your brand new book and to talk about the D word. But before we do that, I would love to talk to you about the relational self-awareness question that I have for all of my guests. Are you ready for me to ask you that? I am so ready. So Kate, what is a growing edge? that you're currently working on in one of your important relationships? And what has it been teaching you these days? Mm. You know, when I was thinking about this question, I was thinking about obviously difficult relationships, right? Because you have a growing edge, you tend to have a growing edge in more complex relationships. And I feel like it's with my ex-husband mm. as it usually is, right? Because when you get divorced with children, you end up having to be in relationship with a person that you broke up with pretty much for the rest of your life. And that creates a tremendous opportunity for growth. Tremendous, right? And also an opportunity for all sorts of other you know, chaos. But <laughs> if you approach it effectively, it can be an incredible opportunity for growth. And my relationship with my ex-husband has taken a huge growth spurt <laughs> over the last year and a half. And we've been divorced now for 14 years. But in the last year and a half, I'll tell you what, it is a never-ending process, right? And no one triggers me like my ex-husband triggers me, <laughs> like except maybe my mother, right? And similarly, I trigger him too. But his life choices had a huge impact on the rest of our family, very destructive. And we've had to remain in this healing process together in a sense, even though it's his work and it's his life choices and his recovery work to do being on the sidelines of it and co-parenting and managing a parent-child relationship through it and being there for him as he's recovered because he actually did choose to address it um, has been a huge growing edge for me. Like wow. leaning up against, you know, I don't, I don't ever, ever, ever want to see your face again. <laughs> and I, you know, I hate you. And also I love you. We're partners in this weird thing, right? So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for giving us, you know, for giving us, first of all, that sober reminder that when you divorce somebody and that you have had children with, the relationship continues. It doesn't continue in the same in the same form by any means, but you are reminding us, you know, you're 14 years. At this point, I wonder, have you been divorced longer than you were 
married? Yes. Have you reached that? Yep. So you've crossed that, you know, that, that crossover has happened. Yeah. And he is the one that you're talking about in terms of your growing edge. So I would be curious, you mark the last year and a half as really being this growth spurt. What do you have in this moment that you would not have had a year and a half ago if we'd been talking then? Interesting. Um, it's a great, I have a lot more information <laughs> than I had a year and a half ago. I mean, a year and a half ago, I mean, I'll, just to be transparent, what happened was that he came up against another layer of his addictions and he opted to go to rehab and address them. But the fallout of it mm-hmm. and 32 years of hiding, um, you know, if we'd had this conversation a year and a half ago, I think I actually had a lot more resentment and uh, anger and rage for him when it all came down. Yeah. And he finally agreed to address it and get help. My compassion opened up. Mm-hmm. It was everything leading up to that. I was so angry and so resentful and also really triggered because I was also became aware of stuff that had happened in my marriage that I didn't even know about. And it was like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. The whole time, Hmm. the whole time, (laughs) you know? And so that's a, you know, and I had to go away and do my own recovery work on that, right? The trauma for me was huge. So I think had we been talking a year and a half ago, I would have been more angry um, than I am now. And so now I just have a lot of compassion for him and his process and you know, his recovery is none of my business. No, that's right. Right. What was my business was what I said to him at the time was, if you choose to go into recovery, I'll take care of the kids. I will handle things. I will like, I've got, I've got it. I've got the home front. If you choose not to, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm just done. And he chose to, and I still have a choice, right? I could still have opted out, but I didn't, I didn't choose to do that because I, I, maybe because I'm crazy. Uh, (laughs) A lot of people think I'm crazy, Um, but because I think that's it. Right. We have a higher purpose. Yeah. Which is raising this child. Your book is a generous and comprehensive resource for readers. And it is, you synthesize a ton of information, a lot of research, a lot of practical strategies. And then alongside you use your journey you know, kind of as a case study. And so it's helpful for us to get the up to the moment sense of where things are now. (laughs) Yeah. I'm putting myself in the shoes of a listener who's perhaps contemplating divorce or in the middle of a divorce process. And I think that there's a lot of hope in what you're sharing in that it is, there are chapters to be written and possibilities that one could not even imagine when they're in the pits of going through the divorce itself. A hundred percent. You have no idea. And this is why, I mean, I even talk about this in creating a parenting plan, right? You don't know. You, if you, you know, we got divorced when my kid was three and a half. Mm-hmm. What did we know about yeah. raising teenagers and, you know, like, and parenting through stuff that we never saw coming, you know, diagnoses and illnesses, like just stuff that you just don't, you know? And yeah, like this is a long-term relationship with someone that you would rather probably at certain moments never see again in your life, Uh (laughs) you know? And it's a, it's a, it's a tough road to navigate. And by the way, I only do so because it is, it is safe for me to do so because I have the tools and the structures in my life to protect myself. And I've, incredible boundaries 
also sometimes I don't, right? Sometimes we learn where the boundaries are when we fall over the cliff and we're like, oopsie. <laughs> Ought to be a boundary there. Oh dear. That's oh, where the dear. guardrail should have been. <laughs> right, exactly. So there's that. Um, oh. But I do have really strong boundaries. And, you know, a lot of people sometimes will look at my relationship with my ex-husband now and say that they want to create that when they're at the beginning of their process. Hmm. And, you know, one of the one of the mistakes that I made was having that friendship, that intimate friendship too quickly. And so, you know, my cautionary tale is don't, we don't need to rush into this, right? Let's individuate, figure out who you are now, find out who you are outside of wife, mother. And if you choose to be friends later on, once you've really established that for yourself, fantastic. Otherwise we often just sort of perpetuate the same relationship dynamics into the divorce, which is like, well, then maybe we shouldn't have gotten to, you know, what's the point of the divorce if you're still going to do the same stuff? Do the same thing just from separate houses. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think that's such a wonderful reminder to listeners about that. I think so, so often, I think there are a number of complicated reasons why somebody might want to rush right into that intimate friendship. I think it's oftentimes a defense against grief, you know, a fear of, will the other person fall apart, you know, without having me as a primary support? There's lots of very, very legitimate fears that come up around that idea of having space and you are being a wise guide to us of saying that, you know, listen, God willing, you'll have time. There can be chapters to the story. And that chapter of separateness is not a cruelty or a rejection, but as you're saying, a chance to individuate, to kind of feel your way back into your own skin so that then the friendship becomes a choice, not a desperate grabbing of each other. Right. And a default, right? And it's, I think, you know, we do, we legally separate we financially separate, we physically separate, but if we don't do the emotional separation as well, like that is the biggest tether, right? That is the biggest thing that that holds us and is often one of the more unhealthy aspects of our relationship uh, with the person we're divorcing. When you talk about this in, in the book, you talk about four people who are then parents together. You talk about having a chapter of parallel parenting before you attempt co-parenting. What's the difference between parallel parenting in the beginning and then co-parenting? Parallel parenting is really like going and living your separate lives and really only talking about the kids and only when necessary, right? And for some people, like that might be too hard a line. Co-parenting is when you're doing it together. You're really, you know, hey, how's the, how are things going at your house on this level? And yeah, that this, this transition is a little, t- you know, and you're really working in concert with one another as the kids are transitioning. And of course we all want that. Of course we do. To me, that's a slippery slope. Like, right, uh-huh. if we haven't done the healing work yet, when we're in this, you know, sort of symbiotic relationship in divorce, when it's about the kids, like, we can really easily slither into other territory, right? Like maybe we're dropping things off at each other's houses, right? And we're just sort of, there's a bit of a free flow. But then suddenly one day someone else's car is in the driveway and you're hit with a gut punch that you were not prepared for, right? You know, in my case, because my marriage was emotionally abusive, it left me open to continuing to be abused. And I never knew when it was coming, 
<laughs> right? Um, as you don't, right? You can't predict it. So if you have more boundaries to begin with rather than fewer, you are just protecting yourself a little bit more. And again, allowing yourself to individuate and figure out who you are now. What's my identity outside of all of this? Um, and of course, you're talking about the kids. You know, there are people that can't in some more abusive situations, especially in situations where the ex-spouse may be using the courts as a tool for post-separation abuse. You really like you're not talking about it. You're just not, you, you know, but if you can, this parallel parenting of we're both going to the meetings, we're dealing with the, the children, we're conversing about issues that might come up, but that's it. So the, the parallel parenting is the outgrowth of we need to have this chapter of differentiation, of individuation, of being on our own two feet. And you're connecting it, even though we're talking about like two partners separating, we're connecting to parenting because I can imagine that the kids become an easy vehicle for connection, conversation, conversation that now is morphing into how are you doing and how am I doing and what are you doing and what are you doing? So it's like that that parallel parenting vision really keeps us in our own lanes and we and we can't use that kind of as you're saying that sort of slippery symbiotic I'm ostensibly calling you to say something about the kids but I'm also you know regulating myself off of how you're doing and hoping that you're going to ask how I'm doing so that's right that's right absolutely right and it's suddenly into a slippery slope of like yeah I don't know I'm just really sad today I just really miss our family and I wish right and it's like Oh God, one person may not be in the mood for it. And that might really trigger the other person. We're like, yeah, well, like, yeah, I'm sorry you missed the family, but then why did you betray us? Or, yeah. right, like it just, boom, you're off to the races. <laughs> like, ah, so quickly. Yeah. Where maybe there are elements of a conversation like that that could be had from much, much more solid ground, you know, down the road once there's been some some space. Right, Exactly. Okay. So Kate, I really want us to back all the way up because when I was getting ready for our conversation, here's what I was sitting with. You know, your book is called The D Word, right? And I think that is just a perfect title because by calling it The D Word, what you're doing is capturing the intensity and the charge around the word divorce. And so I want you and I to find a place in this conversation that does not amplify or reinforce the shame and stigma that we have around divorce, but that also doesn't approach divorce in a way that is cavalier or flippant. How have you found a way to hold that tension in your work? It's funny. It's, uh, it's certainly not something I've thought of intentionally, like this is heavy and also, right, like at all. This is a big, it's a big deal, especially if you have kids. Like, of course, this is the biggest decision you probably will ever make. I had a client say to me once, if I had put this much thought into marrying the guy, <laughs> like I probably wow. wouldn't be here, right? We put more thought into divorce than we do marriage very often. And there's more at stake. It feels like there's more at stake because, you know, the one hand we're sort of just joining. On the other hand, it's like, oh, the ripping apart is, ugh. So it is heavy, it is big. And the stigma part, I wonder if the stigma is starting to dissipate. It feels, and, and I don't know that I have a very good perspective <laughs> because of what I do for a living, but I do see that the stigma is starting to dissipate. Like, like nobody cares if you're divorced anymore. And also maybe because I'm 52, <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, You've got no ass left to give about much of anything. I hear that. Well, right. But also like, <laughs> right. I hate to say it, but like most of us are at some point, mm-hmm. right? Like you're, mm-hmm. you're one of the lucky few, but so many of us have been divorced or are going through it. And I don't think anyone takes it lightly, right? As I said, like we put more thought into this decision than almost any other one that we make. And it is not to be taken lightly for sure. You know, when we're asking ourselves, should I stay or should I go, right? I mean, you as a happily married woman, Alexandra, I'm guessing do not wake up at three o'clock in the morning wondering if you should stay or go, Mm -hmm. right? That question doesn't occur to people. You're not wrestling with that unless you're pretty unhappy. For me, I want to sort of shift the focus of like, what what is the question you're really asking? Because if you're asking yourself, should I stay or should I go? If you start Googling that in the middle of the night, if you're on my website, if you end up on my Instagram, whatever, listening to my podcast, listening to me here, you probably already have the answer to that question. So what are the questions you're really asking? Those are the almost the more difficult questions, right? Which is like, what will this do to my children? Do I deserve, like, is my unhappiness worth the disruption of this entire life? You know, and there's a lot of self-esteem and confidence work involved in that. It, does this rise to the level of something that I should leave, right? Is whether it's abuse or not abuse or like, is it abuse? Like there's just so many other questions that I think are more deep and pressing. Yeah. But what you're saying is what you're saying is that the, the presence of the question warrants your attention. But you don't you don't want the person with that question to just simply think that's the only question, but just kind of stand in some other places vis-a-vis that question. I would say, right, there are times when I imagine what it would be like to live in a little <laughs> a little space all to myself, but that is not I'm that sure. is very different than questioning, right, the viability right. or my choice in an ongoing way to be in this marriage. You're right. You're right. right. So the presence mm-hmm. of a question that is nagging and uncomfortable is worthy of of investigation. And you even say in the beginning of your book that you really give the reader some time in the book to check in with themselves about how ready are you for answers? Because this book is going to, this book will not leave a reader where it finds a reader. It is not a particularly comfortable read. And so you are really getting a reader's informed consent up top, you know, like check in around the readiness for, because sometimes, sometimes there are some sneaky hidden benefits to sitting with a question and mm-hmm. kind of shrugging our shoulders and and not seeking answers sometimes there's there's a season for not seeking answers perhaps and so i really liked and respected how you you really want to make sure that the reader has informed consent around the journey of looking for more clarity yeah thank you for saying that cuz i really did like i wanted to i did i wanted to prepare people that like if you're looking for answers, you're going to find them. But do you want answers? Do you really want the answers? Because some people don't. And that's, t- look, that's fine. Just know that that's what you're choosing. Right. 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 People can sit in deep ambivalence for the rest of their lives. That is, a, that is a path. It is a path. And I just want that to be a conscious path. Yes. I don't want that to be just uh, like, oh, I can't deal with this. I'm going to kick the can down the road for 50 years. Because that would be sad. That's right. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. 
Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Kraftchik and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Well, let us explore one of the thorniest issues, which is this idea of staying for the kids. Oy vey. Yep. I agree with you that there is less shame and stigma. I mean, my parents divorced when I was three and I did not really know any other kids for many years who were going through divorce. Yeah. Same. Are your parents divorced? Oh my God. They split up when I was 11 months old. And I literally came home from nursery school and I was like, mommy, mommy, Damon's parents live together. Why would they do that? What she is happening? Like, Why oh, God. <laughs> yeah, she was like, and then I became like, you know, the world's youngest divorce coach when all my friends, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, I was the person that they all mm-hmm. You've been through to. it. Yeah. I've been on this path for a really long time. So <laughs> I know. They all reminded me of that recently. They were like, do you remember when my parents got divorced? Like, you were the oh. only person we could talk to. And I was like, oh, right. Oh, my God. Gosh, your destiny was written long it's before. Written, exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. So I think we can say that there is less stigma and there is still obviously what is really central for a parent who's considering this is the idea of staying for the kids or the idea that there's a should stay for the kids. So how do you want a listener to think about that idea of staying for the kids? I actually want them to position themselves in the eyes of their child and what they are witnessing every day. And is this what you want for them? Not just to witness, but to model. Because usually, I'm not going to say at always, but usually the relationship that's modeled to us is the one that we repeat. These are the cycles, right? These are the generational cycles. And we may work to change that over time as we get older and we recognize these patterns, right? But if you look at what the relationship blueprint is, like, is this a blueprint that you want for your children? Even if you think you're hiding things from them, because we really think that we are so often, we really think that we are. And we often get sort of a reality check when our kid says something out of the blue, like, well, you and daddy don't seem to like each other very much. And it's like, (gasps) (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. whoa, I thought we were hiding that, you know? So I, I want people to look at it through the lens of their children. What are they witnessing? What are they experiencing? And is this the model that you want for them? Is this, you know, the moment for me when I knew I had to leave was when I realized that you know, who my son would likely become in his relationships. Because the only thing that he really saw was, you know, this sort of abusive model. And when I was like, this little three and a half year old, this little, innocent, adorable child 
is probably going to turn into this other thing. <sighs> I, lo- I lost my mind. Yeah. Right. And that was the moment I was like, oh, oh, everyone says I'm supposed to stay for my son. I actually need to leave for him. I need to show him something different. Right. I call it giving kids the gift of perspective that, you know, you only have control over how things occur in your home. Um, you know, a lot of people think that if, if, the, if the parent has, if the other parent has rage issues or, you know, is it all abusive or anything? Look, physical abuse is something else entirely. I'm not talking about that. But if it's rage and, you know, the court favors 50-50 no matter what, usually it favors it. And so, yeah, your kids are probably going to be in that house, uh, in the other house half of the time. And a lot of people stay in their marriages because they believe that being together, they can mitigate it. Yeah. Right. They, they run interference. They think that they're like able to, right. And you're not right. The sad truth is that you are condoning it by being in it in a way. And that if you have two separate houses, even if you are the only nurturing, loving, safe place for your children to land, you're giving them the gift of perspective because they experience that and they experience something different. If they're in this thing all the time, they have no perspective. This is life. These are relationships. This is what it is until they go to Northwestern and learn differently from you. (laughs) They're like, huh, right? But if you give them that gift of perspective, first of all, you're giving them a place for their nervous system to like decompress. Yes, decompress. Mm -hmm. You're giving them a chance to breathe. You're giving them a place to feel safe. And you're giving them the perspective that like, oh, I feel one way here and I feel a different way here. And then they get to choose what they want to create in their life. I think you have offered an incredibly powerful reframe to that question. I think you, you know, you really have just like walked us to another place vis-a-vis that question and said, okay, stand over here with me and take a look at it this way. And I think that's very, very powerful. And I can, I think especially the audience for this book is the audience for your work and is by and large cisgender heterosexual women who've been married to cisgender heterosexual men. That is, you know, by and large your audience and you name that up front. And I respect that that's what you did. And so I think that, you know, in answering that question, you are inviting a worried mom who is worried about the emotional stability or emotional availability of the kid's father. And you're saying, listen, yes, you will not be able to control and manage what happens to the kids in that house. And again, you've taken physical abuse out of the equation. That's a different situation altogether. But what you're saying is he's not, you know, he's not going to be triggered in the same ways without the marriage there. He may end up in another marriage that does another dance that the kids are seeing. But then the kids, as you're saying, come home to your home and you get to be fully in charge then of the tone and the dynamic inside of your home. And that counts, that matters, even if it's half of the time. That's right. It matters. It matters so much, right? It, And you also get to be like your central nervous system gets to decompress and like you're not being triggered and you're not scared all the time or, you know, or just miserable all the time, right? Then you get to go find your joy and be a mother who has joy. And like, what a better place to parent from, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
One of the themes that goes throughout the book is you wanting your reader to keep their side of the street squeaky clean, as you say. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? What does it mean to keep your side of the street squeaky clean? Well, it means that you are always kind of checking yourself and your own integrity, right? You're acting in integrity within yourself and in alignment with your own values. Listen, we're going to screw it up, but you know, just because they're acting like a crazy person or because they're hurting your feelings, like we don't do tit for tat. We just focus on, okay, at the end of the day, when I put my head on my pillow, do I, is there anything nagging at me? That's like, ah, God, right? And if there is, great, you go clean that up. Even if it's with somebody that you can't stand, <laughs> you know, you say, I'm, you know what? I'm really sorry that I responded the way that I did. That was out of integrity with who I want to be. And, um, you know, going forward, I, I want to respond to you differently. You're setting the tone, by the way, but now they may not reciprocate. They may never reciprocate. They may be, you know, the jerk that they've always been till kingdom come. It doesn't matter, right? But sometimes you're actually setting the tone. Sometimes you're actually giving the relationship permission to shift and to change. Um, if it's with your kids, right? You go, oh, all right. You give your kids the opportunity to learn what it is to take responsibility. You know what? Mommy got really upset earlier and I yelled at you and I don't like that I did that. And I'm so sorry. And I can imagine that must've been really scary for you. Hmm. I'm really working on controlling my anger and I really want to try and do things differently going forward. So you take responsibility, but it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect people. It just means that we're going to clean up our messes when we make them. But really, it's acting in alignment with our values and who we are. If I value personal development, as I do, obviously, right? <laughs> and <laughs> But then I'm out in the world behaving like a, like a lunatic and a banshee and getting triggered and not cleaning it up and not taking responsibility. Like, there's a disconnect there. And there should be a disconnect for me, too. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. And so I want people to walk through these really, really difficult conversations and these really, really difficult experiences with integrity and an understanding of who they are in the world and like the impact that they're having. Yeah. Really. I hear you inviting us into that with compassion. It's not about beating ourselves up, but also with like accountability, right? That at the, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, your head's in the pillow. Are you in alignment with how you have behaved that day? And so I think that's, you know, even though you introduced this idea in the beginning of the book when it's still kind of contemplation around divorce, that is something essential that somebody needs to take with them through every step of the divorce process, right? Because the system is built, the system is built in an adversarial way still. Maybe the next iteration of divorce is going to be a bit more collaborative than the current system is. But especially like then, if it is that decision is made to divorce, that commitment to keeping your side of the street squeaky clean has got to be there because the system, there's going to be pulls in the system, right? To be out of your integrity, to be below the belt, I imagine. Oh, absolutely. The system can very often be designed to put you in that position. As soon as you hire an attorney, they're preparing for litigation. They're preparing for trial. And they can often make things more adversarial than they need to be. 
listen, the other side of the street can be an absolute like pig pen, you know, like just yeah. with the with the dust swirl all around, right? <laughs> that doesn't mean you have to join into it. Then mm. and that's why I use this imagery, right? That there's two sides of the street. And there's a street between you, and that's a boundary. And if you're getting divorced, you are no longer on the other person's side of the street. So who do you want to be, really, right? Who do you want to be in this process? Okay, well, I wrote this question, and you may not like this question very much at all. So you tell, you I'm tell me. I'm excited. Okay, you tell I'm excited. me where we go with this one. Here's what I'm aware of. Yes. So your book, your podcast, your coaching, everything that you do is so deeply important to the women that you serve, to the families they are raising, to the people they are divorcing. Like it is, it is essential. And I'm aware that I don't know what the sort of divorce memoirs are that are written and offered by men. I don't know who's writing the the D word for men. It's not your, I'm not saying it's your job, but I am no, no. saying, what would you like to whisper in a man's ear as he's preparing to divorce a woman? Like, what do you want a man to keep in mind? I love this question, Alexandra. I love it. A lot of people think that I that I don't like men. And I hate that that's sort of a, right? I love men. Mm -hmm. I love men. You're raising one. You married one. You are raising one. (laughs) That's right. I'm raising one. I love men. I think the system is bad for, for women. It's bad for men, right? But that's another conversation. I wish, I wish to God there were people doing this work for men. And I get messages from men often. Here's what they say to me. I feel like I'm the woman in my relationship because I I relate to everything you talk about for women. And you know, what I say to that is you're not the woman in the relationship. You're you're a man. You're a man who's experiencing what very often is experienced by women just by nature of the patriarchy and the system. This is it. And so for men going through this, I want to say you know, first of all, when you get to the other side, if you have any desire to help other men through this, like there's such a gap in the market. <laughs> so yeah. please, please. I I want to say like, God, take the opportunity, do the work, like really. And I know that there is such a gap again in the levels at which women and men consume personal development work, therapy, all of it. Right. And I hate that. Me too. I hate it. And so I want to whisper to them, like, it's okay. Like, first of all, women, like if you're getting divorced and you're going to be on the other side and start dating, like, we want you to have a therapist. Oh my God, please have a therapist. It's so hot. Yes. It's so Uh hot. Uh (laughs) It's so much sexier, (laughs) right? Like, Uh come on. Uh Um, And also, you know, the statistics on divorce for second and third marriages are pretty bad. The divorce rates for second and third marriages are higher than they are for first. They just, they get higher as it goes along. And so, you know, if you don't ever want to go through this again, please do the work. Please go to therapy, figure out what happened. It's not just that she was X, Y, and Z, right? Like, yes, I'm sure she was. And also, and, what uh-huh. what had you be uh-huh. in this relationship, and why was it attractive to you at some point, and you know all of that. I think I, you know I want to say to men like, we need you, we need you to be doing this work. We really do. Our children, our boys, 
we like they need these examples to look up to. Yeah, I think about the men that I've worked with over the years. It is sometimes a divorce that becomes that cracked open. All right, I surrender. What the hell do I need to learn here? You know, and yeah. so I think that you're right that there's like that ripple effect of we we wish, of course, that everybody got to grow up with healthy models for relationship and opportunities to partner in ways that are rich with awareness and integrity, et cetera, et cetera. And that is not that doesn't have to be the only story. So you're right that that is. Can the divorce then be the cracking open? And, mm-hmm. and can you do your work and then share your story, right? Because there deserves to be an eat, pray, love for men and an untamed for men, you know, stories and, and a D word for men, right? That's right. I mean, absolutely. And I, I can't tell you the number of people who ask me and I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know of one. I know the men who are doing men's work. Yes. Men's work, really beautiful men's work. Absolutely. And probably, and very likely there is work yeah. around breakup and divorce, et cetera, et cetera. And there's space for, for the Kate Anthony for men. <laughs> yes. Join me. Join Absolutely. You. Yes. Okay. So moving on, let's imagine that a listener has made the decision to divorce. And one thing that you write about that I certainly have seen time and time again is that people who are going through a divorce get so much unsolicited advice. So what do you recommend about how somebody going through a divorce can be boundaried around (laughs) unwanted, unasked for, unsolicited divorce advice? Oh my God. Great question. I like the way you frame that too. I mean, it can be really dangerous to get any divorce advice from anyone who is not a divorce professional in your state. Now I am a divorce professional and I'm not in your state, but I'm not, I'm not giving legal advice. Yeah. You know, people have the best intentions. They really do. Um, And sometimes the worst advice. So there are two camps, right? There are people who have never been divorced and have no idea how anything works. And they're going to give you advice to hide all your money and make sure that, you know, they don't have any access to this, that, and the other, and make sure you take the kids and like, Lord have mercy, like, you're going to get them put in jail. <laughs> you know, like this is terrible <laughs> advice. <laughs> this is all illegal and it's going to cause them to unravel this. But then there's the people who have been divorced, but only know their story, right? And only have, and I see this time and time again, where somebody like in my Facebook group will post something about an experience that they're having in their divorce. And the responses will be, Again, well-intentioned, but it's sort of a pile-on based on their own experience. You know, a person will ask a question about custody and someone will respond to it as if it's an abusive situation. This person never said anything about abuse. They never said anything right. And they will infuse their answers with their own experiences, which is, of course, what humans do. Right. Um, but in this case, it could be it could be dangerous because you're not going to respond to a non-abusive person as if they're being abusive and not end up in court. You know, this could derail your whole process. If you want this to be an amicable process, the first thing people always say is lawyer up, lawyer up, (laughs) right? That's actually not good advice. Consult attorneys in your area. If you want to have 
a media, amicable mediated divorce, you are going to hire a consulting attorney. You must have a consulting attorney if you are mediating, but you are not going to hire a shark litigator if what you want is to mediate. So you've really got to be careful. Again, like you said, who you take your advice from. And it should be from, if you're going to take divorce advice from people who are divorced, make sure it's somebody that was divorced the way you want to get divorced, <laughs> you uh-huh. know? Uh-huh. Really wonderful. Right? And who has, so it's, it's about somebody went through a divorce the way that you want to go through a divorce and somebody who has a marriage that has similar elements. That's right. If you are escaping an abusive marriage, then perhaps guidance from somebody who has also escaped an abusive marriage is more relevant. But to be really mindful of those there's differences within what a marriage looks like that makes a big difference around whether somebody is in any position to offer you guidance of any kind. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's hard. You know, it's hard because people, again, they, they they think they're being helpful, but they're like, you know, I, I remember when I was going through it, my ex and I were incredibly amicable, incredibly to the point where people are like, how are you doing this? Your marriage was a, was a dumpster fire. How are you guys doing this so well? But a friend of my mom's said, well, you got to make sure you have a good attorney. And I was like, we're just not doing it that way. And she's like, well, you say that now, but she's like, just wait in two years. And it kind of put the fear of God into me, but like that never happened. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just not uh-huh. who we were. Yep. That's not how we were doing this. That's great. Okay. So my last thing I wanted to explore with you before I let you go is that, mm-hmm. you know, a divorce is, as um, Michelle Pfeiffer says in the story of us, remember the Michelle Pfeiffer, Bruce Willis yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like a little, like the death of like a little civilization, you know, there's a civilization there. It is the dismantling of an entire culture. And it's not just the dissolution of that marriage. It is also the ripple effects you know, we've talked obviously a lot about parenting, but the ripple effects through the extended family system and through the friendship network. And so you spend quite a bit of time in the book talking about the sort of blast radius that goes well beyond the four walls of the home. And I think it's really important that you you hold the reader's hand through some of the things that they may be able to anticipate. But what could you what do you want to remind people of? And I think I would love if we can to speak to both you know, how we want the person who's divorcing to position themselves. And then also the person in that blast radius, right? Like the friend who's having the triggered reaction. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of the more shocking experiences, which is why I talk about it. Cause I think that people don't expect it. You just expect all your friends to just rally around and be there for you. And then they're having their own experiences of this and sometimes behaving terribly. And it's shocking. You're like, wait a minute, you were supposed to, I'm managing your feelings around this when I'm the one going through a divorce, like what? Um, And so I talk about it because I think it's important for people to know that it's how common it is and to prepare that this may or may not have anything to do with you. Usually it has nothing to do with you. The reaction that people, someone else is having to your separation or divorce really has almost nothing to do with you. Usually you're holding a mirror up to their relationship and it's terrifying. And they're they're looking at themselves like, you know, sometimes it's like, well, shit, if you didn't make it, how, how am I going to make it? And sometimes it's, oh, I can, I can do that. 
right? I talk about in the book that I, I lost my two best friends, 20-year friendships, you know, friendships from college. These were my best, best, best friends. And because of their reactions, the way that they reacted to what I was going through. And one of them was like this crazy rage. And I was like, (laughs) this is not about me. And both Mm -hmm. of those marriages ended up dissolving in the year. Like it took one, six months and one a year. They both fell apart and it was not about me at all. Um, And also sometimes it is, sometimes we're like, we're not behaving in our best you know, our best when we're going through something really huge and traumatic. And like, so I think our friends can give us more grace. (laughs) You know, we might be a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs as we're going through this. And that's perfectly normal. As long as we have a therapist who's like actually guiding us or a coach who's who's sort of helping us go through the cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, it's, you know, we're going to be okay. But it can be hard for the other person watching, right? It really can be hard to watch your friend maybe making choices that are not what you would expect. Maybe start dating random people that you're like, what is, what is she doing? It's like, it's part of the process. It's okay. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to get through it. You know, the person who's going through it has this expectation that their friends are just going to kind of be along for the ride. And the friends are like on this ride that is really confusing and confronting and triggering and possibly sometimes concerning. So there is, there's a lot to hold in that space. And it's, it, it's very jarring for the person who just needs their friends to be around. Right. In sharing that, it is such an important reminder to a friend of the divorcing person to validate. It is. It is mm-hmm. jarring and activating inside of you when your friend announces that they're going to get divorced. And at the very same time, right, you can be activated and responsible for your activation. And so then who can you turn to, to process your own feelings so that when you are with your friend, you can do the best job you can at holding space and being as regulated as you can be, you know, with the friend who's divorcing. Yeah. And if, right, if you're getting triggered and you're starting like confronting your own marriage and it's freaking you out, like, yes, take that to your therapist. You know, I love that you said that, right? You can you can have your experience and also take it somewhere else and then just be a good friend. Be a good friend to your divorcing friend, you know? And then the other thing is that you might need to find a bit of a different community for a little while as a divorcing person. You might need to sort of lean into more single people or more divorcing people because it's really isolating. You know, the other thing I'll say to the married people is please invite your single friends to the barbecue, to Christmas, to Thanksgiving. It's interesting. People rally around the single guys, like the divorced dads, right? They get all the, oh, no, no, no. He's all single and he's like, he's so sad. And like, come on over and spend Christmas with us, right? And the women don't get that same care. And it's really painful. It's really painful. I'm so glad that you're reminding us of that. I'm thinking about how, I mean, it's like this double-edged sword of women's friendships, right? We, so many of our friendships are built around similarity and almost like enmeshment, you know, emotional enmeshment, and we are each other's soft place land. So then now if you and I are different, 
if you are making a choice to leave while I make the choice to stay, it is confronting as heck. So to the married friend, her journey does not have to be your journey, right? Just because she has made this choice does not mean that you now have to question everything that you are thinking and feeling about your own marriage. Like breathe, take a breath. You can be different from your friend and close to your friend. Your divorcing friend may develop some new friendships and not abandon you. That's right. Absolutely. And also mm-hmm. your she's not coming for your husband. She's she does not, not want your husband. husband. No. She way. doesn't want your husband. <laughs> you oh, know, like Lord. right. She just she just let go of one, in fact. Yeah. She's, right. That's yeah. right. I think there's a lot of like one of the reasons I hated the movie Bad Moms was that the only representation of a single mom was that she was, you know, this sort of slutty, you know, woman who was trying to get with everybody's husbands. And I was like, really, that's how we have to do that? Like, we can't just have a divorced mom who's like doing the best she can. Like, and so I think that's a fear, you know, because sometimes we have a bit of a glow up when we get divorced too. (laughs) Sometimes we lost a little something that was weighing us down. (laughs) Sometimes, right? And so so some people are like, oh, I don't want her coming to my barbecue. She looks too good. (laughs) You know, like, let us come to the barbecue. (laughs) It's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kate. You really are such a walking example of turning pain into purpose. You know, I am I am sorry for the suffering that you went through and the pain that you went through. And I am so grateful that you alchemized your pain into purpose and guidance and offering for other people. So thank you for the work that you do. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot coming from you, especially. So I, I really appreciate it so much. And I'm so happy to have had these conversations with you. I just, I love it. I love it. I know. Me too. Me too. Okay. So if somebody is just discovering you for the first time, obviously Mm -hmm. the main thing that they need to do is go and get your brand new book, The D Word. And it is available wherever books are sold. Everywhere. It is available everywhere. For those who might be cautious uh, or concerned about privacy and security, on my website, I have a page that gives some examples of how to get it may perhaps a little more surreptitiously. This is probably not a book that you want in your shared Amazon order history. So there's a page on my website, kateanthony.com slash D word with some examples of how you might be able to get the book without sort of alerting <laughs> the, the person that you're trying to make this decision about. And um, on Instagram uh, and TikTok, sometimes I'm uh, the Divorce Survival Guide and my podcast, which Alexandra has been on twice, I think, at this point mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. over the years, is the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. And yeah. I strongly recommend the podcast and the book is wonderful. And I'm so glad, you know, last time you and I spoke, you were working with your team to figure out, okay, how can we ensure that people get this book in a way that that protects them or doesn't sort of jump the gun on, you know, making an announcement that somebody doesn't feel ready to make. And so I'm so glad that you have woven into your website guidance and possibilities for how readers can have your book in a way that feels that is private. Thank you. Thanks, Alexandra. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Kate, for joining me here on Reimagining Love. And thank you, dear listener, for joining me for this enlightening conversation. 
If you are struggling with a divorce or the question of whether to stay or go, I highly recommend that you engage with Kate's work. Find links to her website and her new book, The D Word, making the ultimate decision about your marriage in the show notes. Until next time, be well. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.